People, by their nature, prefer to cooperate, not because they're generally kind, but because conflict and violence is very, very expensive. If you have a knife fight, you're getting stabbed, even if you win. Hello there from El Salvador. Yes, I'm back here. I am in the Bitcoin country. It's so good to be back. Following the news that Bitcoin is now legal tender here, come back to see what's going on, to catch up with some friends, to eat some pupusas, and hopefully I'm going to go and visit a volcano. Anyway, how are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an excellent interview. I am joined by Michael Malice because I wanted to get a better understanding of anarchism, but also I wanted to ask Michael his thoughts on Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors, and today we kick off with Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks, there are all ways that you can lose your Bitcoin or have it stolen. But with Casa, you never need to worry about your Bitcoin again, because with a Casa multi-sig, you get to custody your Bitcoin, but only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you distribute into different locations, which is protecting you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a customer for a year. You can reach over to me on email or hit me up on my Twitter DMs. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And next up, we have my friends over in Estonia, sportsbet.io, the people who gave away a Lambo. Well, they didn't actually give away a Lambo because the winners in Miami took $250,000 of Bitcoin. How cool is that? And do you know what? The coolest thing, it turns out they were about to get married. I mean, I think it's even going to be this week. And this was an awesome wedding present. So a massive thanks to Sportsbet for doing this. Hopefully, we can do more competitions like that in the future. Now, with Sportsbet, you have every market you could possibly be interested in. They have football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They even have esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. And you know what? I actually used it today here in El Salvador. I had to get some money, and the only ATM they have here is a Bitcoin ATM. So I linked up my Exodus Wallet. I sent some Bitcoin to the ATM, and I was able to get myself some dollars. Now, as you know, UX is super important to me. So when the team reached out, I spent some time playing with the app. And I absolutely loved it. They could not have made an easier app to use. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address, knowing the Exodus automatically checks it for errors. So if you want to check it out, please head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Okay, so on to the show. And today we have an absolute banger of a show that I recorded in New York a few days ago with Michael Malice. Now, I've wanted to talk to him for a while. I've seen him on Rogan. I like what he's about. I've got his book. But I, yeah, with anarchism, I do have questions. Now, Michael is an anarchist. And anyone who listens to the show regularly knows this is a rabbit hole that I have been going down for a while especially over the last year with COVID and lockdowns and also all the bullshit narrative from mainstream media attacking Bitcoin and definitely leading more towards libertarianism and anarchism than I have ever done before. 
I think that the overreach and overreaction by governments has been pretty crazy. But listen, I'm not there yet. I'm still a little bit of a status cuck. I've still got questions. I've still got things that I can't figure out. I can't understand how some of this stuff would work, how anarchism scales to 350 million people. So listen, please shout at me on Twitter. Shout at me for not being an anarchist and being a status cuck. I'm still going to go down this rabbit hole. I've got lots to learn. But if you do have any questions or feedback, please do reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can jump into my Telegram group. All right, over to the interview. Hi, Michael. Hello, Peter. We're finally getting going. Yes, sir. That was the weirdest start ever. Yes. Um, we should probably explain to people what happened that when we were doing the test recording, when every time we would play it back, some phantom music was appearing. Yeah. <laughs> Very odd. Very odd. Thank you for doing this. My um, pleasure. Wanted to talk to you for a long time. I'm going to set the scene so you understand where I'm coming at this from, and then you can Help me through uh, my journey of understanding anarchism a bit more. So, uh, I would say four years ago, pre-Bitcoin for me, I was just living in a small town in England. I just believed there was a state. I believed we picked a party every four years, and that's just the way it was. I had Stockholm syndrome. I was that's how it was. I discover Bitcoin. I start making a podcast, and I start coming across a lot of. Bitcoiners who are anarchists and libertarians who are yelling at me, calling me a status cuck. Were they wrong? Um, I think what's happening over time is I'm gradually shedding okay. everything I knew from the past. Uh, more recently, even with mainstream media. Um, and so I'm, I'm very much in a lost place. If I'm honest, I'm like, I don't know what to believe anymore. But I've also struggled with the idea of wh where we should be or where we should go. So like, I want to start to start with you because for me, my view on anarchism was this guy's in masks at a G8 conference smashing up McDonald's. Yeah. Uh, that's all I knew about anarchism until I started speaking to some of the more smarter people. So how do you explain anarchism to people? Uh, well, it's going to be different for the British because you have <laughs> the Sex Pistols song. Yeah. So I don't want to destroy passersby. Um, <laughs> anarchism can be summed up in one sentence, uh, you do not speak for me. And everything else is just application of that concept. It is the idea that authority is inherently illegitimate. Uh, it's different if you have a lawyer or a doctor, you're deferring to their authority. It's something you've chosen. But the claim that because a lot of my neighbors think something is good or desirable has no bearing on truth. And the claim that morally they're in a position to impose their view of what's good and desirable upon me is something so nonsensical we would even, wouldn't even consider as a hypothesis unless we were trained to believe this since children in government schools. One little thing that I'm going to predict you're going to start changing, uh, maybe even by the end of this talk, is to stop referring to them as the mainstream media because their views are not mainstream at all. They have a corporate agenda, which is increasingly transparent to, I think, to everyone. Uh, nothing wrong with having an agenda. But to claim that they represent the mainstream as opposed to form the mainstream, uh, I think is a bit of a slight error in um, uh, description. Okay, that's fair. So what do you refer to them as? The corporate press. Just the corporate just press. the enemy of the people. Enemy of the people, propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Agitprop, more specifically. Well, as a Bitcoin, I've, I've become increasingly aware of it because of the misreporting of Bitcoin continually, whether it's the New York Times, whether it's the Guardian. And these aren't stupid. This is the, something conservatives get very wrong. These aren't stupid people. You can't work for the New York Times and be dumb. You can't uh -huh. work for the Guardian and be dumb. These people are very educated. Education correlates with intelligence. 
And if I was a journalist and I'm covering something, it's going to be inevitable. I'm going to get things wrong at some point, right? Mm -hmm. However, once that mistake has pointed out to me, if I had any semblance of commitment to the truth or to decency, I would not only feel humiliated, I would also make it a point to not make that mistake again, even in our personal relationships. If I you know, misjudge someone because of a lack of knowledge, someone's like, oh, he acted this way, not because of you, because you know, something happened to his wife, you feel like a jerk and you're like, oh my God, I got to make amends. And, you know, I, but there's none of that when it comes to corporate media. It is, it's, Bitcoin is a perfect example of this. Uh, I'm sure we're days away, if they haven't already, you're more familiar with the space than I am, mm-hmm. but uh, Bitcoin being white supremacist, I'm sure it's just the headline waiting to be written, which is nonsensical, of course, if, if anyone knows it's a form of currency and many other things, but this is how they operate. Um, and once you see their machinations, you can't not see them. And that's the red pill. Yeah, that's the thing. I feel like at the moment I've taken the red pill and it's slowly, slowly kind of working its way through my body. Yeah. But I've really struggled to shed some of these, I don't know, beliefs or things that I, I just held that were true. You know, for a long time, the BBC for me was an institution of something I could trust. Uh, John Simpson for me was a journalist who I believed in. I saw him travel the world, interview some of the most important people. And then I've traveled here to the US and I've seen how people view the BBC and I've seen a different lens on their reporting. And, and now I just don't trust anything. Good. Uh, the BBC is very mixed. Uh, obviously it's a state organization, so you're going to have trouble there. However, they're very good. Some of the reporters at being, um, asking the tough questions of people on all sides. So you have Mm -hmm. to give credit for there. Uh, their three part documentary on Thatcher, the Downing Street years is the best resource on her, uh, I think out there, which is amazing given the notoriously hostile relationship the two of them had. So they, and a lot of their nature stuff is second to none. So the BBC, you could say very high things about, but at the same time, their agenda is very hard left. Uh, it's very portrayed in a certain thing. And that's, that's fine. But first of all, I think it's, it's, uh, um, obscene to use taxpayer monies to fund a, a news organization. But it's just also interesting that an agent See that has state backing is going to be um, more respectable in many cases than corporate um, agencies here in the States, like the New York Times, the Washington Post. I think the BBC gets it right or gets it um, more reasonable in terms of displaying all sides of the issue uh, than you'd see here across the pond. Well, I think that's because it is uh, funded by the uh, the TV license in the UK, it is a you know a state tax for for it. It has an, a certain amount of pressure on it to be as impartial as possible, which I think you've recognised. I also did you see the uh, four part documentary they made about the Iraq War? I've not. That is fantastic. That's probably the best reporting on that. But yeah, so I I'm in this place where I'm like shedding these skins, and and for some people I haven't gone far enough. I'm regularly still called a statist, uh, and. I think what it is is well. That's not going. I'm sorry to interrupt you. That's not going to change. No, it's not. I'm not a real anarchist because I don't talk about Bitcoin enough. So we'll get there. Yeah. Whatever anyone has some perspective, there's a slur that they'll use to people that don't follow in line completely. So I, I think statist is we got a ways to go before statist in this case. Yeah, and and I think what it is is one of my I mean, the reason I want to talk to you is I can't see the end goal. I can't see like I see the state. I see the issues with the state. I've he- heard you talk about it quite a bit and 
yeah, I've talked to other pe- other people, but I can't see the end goal. I can't see the alternative. I can't see how it actually works. And but this know, is the alternative right here. Well, it's the conversation, right? This is we're, we're here. We are in an anarchist relationship with one another. Neither has an authority. You have some semblance of authority because this is your show. But we met peaceably. Mm-hmm. Uh, anarchism is a relationship. It's not a location. So anytime you have people exchanging peacefully, uh, that is an anarchist situation. Despite the state's claim that, but for the state this would be impossible, which is like claiming if there wasn't for all these exorcists, we'd all be possessed. It's a, it's, it's dubious at best. But, but this is manageable. And as neighbors, or maybe even a street, it's manageable. What I, try and, what I struggle with is the idea of how does this work at scale with 360 million people? Right. How does that work? And, and, and we'll come to that. And sure. you know, some of the questions I already do I had, I started reading the, yeah, the intro to your book, and you almost played those responses back at us. You know, you know the questions you've been asked sure. a thousand times, and I'm going to I'm going to ask them. Okay. So sorry about Gladly. that. Gladly, no, please. So, but let's start with the state. You know, and I, I want to ask you firstly, what do you think the state does well? Uh, the state does well in terms of um, fomenting emotion among the population. The state does well in terms. That's one thing. I mean, you're you're asking an anarchist mm. uh, to think of things the state does well. Uh, the state isn't even good at waging war. <laughs> I mean, you were in, if if it would be very easy to make the argument for government if it was good at war, right? If the Iraq War was we're in and out in a week, Saddam's gone, minimal or no civilian casualties, we could pat ourselves on the back. You can make that argument. That's, that has not happened, mm-hmm. you know. So. Um, e- even things that are regarded as the state at its most valorious, like World War II, you know, that's a very good versus evil situation, although we kind of sweep Stalin under the rug because we don't know how to fit him into the good versus evil situation. Even there, the, the amount of death and destruction is just uh, you know, unconscionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not, not just mean the Holocaust, I mean civilians and, and, and you know, soldiers being killed from every direction. So I, I can't think of anything the state does well because at the very, it's just like let's let's even take this out of the realm of politics. Mm-hmm. What is it that like gigantic bureaucracies do well? Well, they're good at organizing. They're good at making someone have a job for their life and taking care of their own uh, um, kind of constituents or employees, whatever you might have. But I think when people stop thinking of the state as something that's representational and start thinking that it's a giant violent bureaucracy, and you ask yourselves, what are things that giant bureaucracies do well? they're going to also struggle to have the same answers or the answer they come up with the same answers that I come up with. Managing borders and tax, tax collection. But they, they don't manage borders well. Tax evasion is uh, and avoision are both the status quo. Uh-huh. So I, I don't think... If, if, they, if, they, if they collected tax as well, we wouldn't really have black markets. Yeah, I mean, what I, what I don't understand with anarchism, and tell me, I, I don't know if it's, for you, if it's an end goal, an idea, a... a you know, an objective you want to reach, or is it a personal philosophical way of living? Well, I think it's both, uh, I, I, which I hate when people answer the question that way. Yeah, and I know, but whenever you have a worldview, it's, you know, it's kind of living the values. So for me, anarchism is engaging with people peaceably. It is enforcing strictly your borders and your boundaries. Um, it is feeling uh, outrage when you know, innocent people are harmed 
especially on mass, which is what the state is very good at, mass carnage and mass destruction. Um, so, and it is, I mean, you're saying it as an end goal, but I think what people often don't understand is anarchism is the norm. Lord of the Flies is not reality. Lord of the Flies is not what would happen. We watch, you know, if you watch the show Survivor, I know there's the British version mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. The point is the only reason these people are antagonistic is because they're being forced to vote off each other. Where in reality, if they were on a desert island together, extremely diverse cast, sure, people would dislike each other, so on and so forth, but the Hobbesian idea would not hold true. They would actually work together pretty well because when you're talking about survival or on lifeboats, you're not, you know, getting all violent. And even in situations like in the the Andes where there was a plane crash, people are very hesitant even to eat dead people. I mean, that's the much how much people being social animals do like and respect each other. Now, the big question for anarchism and for any society, okay, what do you do about the murderers? What do you do about the rapists? Mm-hmm. They're all, and part of this has to come with the recognition that the number of people who are murderers and rapists are very, very low. Uh, and it's not that they're low because of the law. It's low because A, I'm going to put a target in my back and B, most people do not think in these terms. I, do, I, I would bet that 99% of these people who are listening to the show, over 99, if they had the opportunity to rape someone and get away with it, it would be unconscionable to them and the guilt would follow them for the rest of their lives. So again, but the, the valid question is, all right, well, what do you do about that guy who thinks differently? So what do you do about that guy? Well, it, 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 there's very different me- mechanisms. Unfortunately, uh, there's no system that is going to be utopian. So there's criticism of anarchism, like, all right, sometimes the guy's going to get away with it. That is the status quo. We, uh, I, What's his name? Jimmy Seville? Uh, Jimmy Seville, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. He was raping children for decades. for decades. He was joking about it. Everyone's like, oh, Jimmy, ha, ha, ha. There's infinite example of people who are just monsters and they never suffer consequences. Jack the Ripper is another example. Um, and there's just also on a minor level, just, you know, people who just commit uh, crimes. So under anarchism, you would have much more clearly defined uh, property rights. Uh, and you would have things like reputation and people much more involved in their neighborhoods. Um, but again, this is going to be a, a tricky situation under any circumstances. What what would the base rule of law be though? And how, there's how, no law. There's no law at all. Right. There's just rules, but there's rights. no law. Okay. Right. So there's just rule. What are the base rules? Is this pro- just based on property rights? There's there's no there's no base. That's the whole thing. Anarchism okay. means freedom. So for example, if if I no want to have a, a store, mm-hmm. and if you want to come in the store, you have to wear this certain outfit, and we could have that now. That's certainly a prerogative. There's certain venues you go into where you have to dress a certain way. There's a dress code. If you want to go to the Harvard Club, you have to have a blazer and uh, um, a, a tie on, for, for example. So basically what you would have is everything would be under someone's jurisdiction and they would set those uh, principles. Now, some places would be a velvet rope. Like you can't come in here unless X, Y, and Z, as I think you would say. Other places, it's, you know, the supermarket Come one, come all, or no shirt, no shoes, no service. So what anarchism does is allows the maximum freedom uh, for every individual. So for example, here in New York, I'm a, I'm a smoker, but I'm a vape smoker. Okay. I had to go to the little shop and he kept under the counter the flavored ones because there's a rule here now that they've created right. that you can't have flavored uh, vapes, which surprised me when I got here. I didn't even realize this was a new thing in New York. Yeah, it's, it's demented. Yeah, so... Th- th- the creep of the state 
is obviously a huge. But let me ask you this: yeah. as a as a former status cuck, yeah, do you regard that law as legitimate? Of, of course not. Well, it's I'm, not I'm of a course. Grown up. It's not of course because there's many people who'd say, "Look, uh, maybe this is a law. It's misguided, but it's certainly we should still respect it." And once you realize why, then basically everything else follows. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, I'm an adult, <laughs> right? I, I would like to smoke. I'm not smoking in people's face. And I would like a flavor. And here's the other thing. It might even be true. In fact, I would have no problem for the sake of argument saying it is true that these kinds of things are attractive to teenagers yeah. and that it's very, very dangerous when teenagers start smoking because they're, they're trapped and we have to be concerned about that. Sure, gladly. I don't care. Peter's an adult. Peter wants his flavored thing. If, you, if Peter's not going to give it to children, the end. There's nothing else to discuss. And I'm responsible for my own children's Correct. decisions as well and guiding them and Correct. making sure they make those decisions. Exactly. Which becomes to a bigger issue is that what recently where I've started to feel challenged is what's been happening with my children and what are my children being taught. Oh. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's actually kind of scary. It's, it's child abuse, yes. Well, it's to the point of uh, really considering what I want my children to do. So we yeah. had this, my, my son phoned me up. It was so, it was mad. Um, there's been two incidences he had. So he's um, a drama and arts student. How old is he? He's 17 now. Okay. And he wanted to do this monologue. And it was a monologue from uh, a playback, I think it's a US playback in the 50s or 40s. Or so. I can't remember the actual era. But it was about the racial conflict of the time. And it was somebody from a factory, and it was, and that person in the factory was talking about the different workers. And so there's certain racial connotations. Sure. Yeah. But it was it was a piece of art. This is a and historical historical piece. So the teacher turned around to him and said, "We would rather you didn't do this piece because uh, there's going to be some black people in the audience, and we don't want to offend them." Uh, so he came home to me frustrated, and he's like, "Dad, I wanted to do this. I was like, just do it, or if you or just refuse exactly. to do work." He didn't want the confrontation. He didn't do it. But but no, wait, can I interrupt you? Yeah. Notice that this teacher is speaking on behalf of the black people, as opposed to. Black people who have minds of their own, who are perfectly capable of understanding something in a historical context, yeah. and who actually have to deal with racism on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But she feels the need to interject herself into this relationship. So, well, that was the first incident. And the second one, um, which is definitely going to make you laugh, and I just found it a bit strange. So they have this thing called PSHE. I think that's what it is. My son would correct me. It's sex education, which firstly, I don't really want the school teaching, but, you know, whatever. If it's responsible, it's fine. But they now have the uh, two pictures of the anatomy of the male and the female, but they can't refer to them as male and female. They have to refer as person with a penis and person with a vagina because they don't want to offend people who don't identify as their gender. I don't find that funny at all. Well, funny as in stupid funny. It's not stupid. It's very smart. It's a very smart mechanism to control children because when you start controlling someone's language and how they express themselves, mm-hmm. right away they're using in-group jargon and you can identify within seconds if this person is being submissive and subordinate to the master class narrative or if they're thinking for themselves. So it's a very sophisticated technique that they're using. But this, Michael, is the stuff that's freaking me out now. Well, good. Yeah. You should be freaked out. These people are horrible. And you should be... I don't think it's funny in the slightest. I think this is a cause for rage. Yeah, I mean, when I say funny, that's maybe a figure of speech we use in the UK. When we say it's funny... No, you funny. say taking the piss. That's well, the figure of speech But No, use. but also when we say it's funny, it's not like we're saying it's funny that you should laugh at it. It's funny is just like a figure of speech. It's not that it's a comical thing. Well, I mean, sarcastically comically. But 
we don't have to dwell on that. The okay. point being is like, it's just another thing that's making me think, what the fuck? What is going on here? Like, but I'm also like, what do I do? Because here's something, have you not picked up that this is, they used to do this to us, but we didn't realize it because we were kids? That's the thing that you haven't clicked yet. Feels very different now. Because you're an adult and you can see it for what it is. When yeah. you're a kid, you know, fish don't know. You know, there's that that whole um, uh, a metaphor about two fish in a river and one goes, the water's really warm today. And the other one goes, what's water? We're, <laughs> we're oblivious to our environment if that's the entirety of our, our context. So when we're kids and we're in this school and this is how knowledge is being promulgated to us, we do not have that independence to perceive it as anything other than, you know, truth that Moses received on Mount Sinai. And that's why it's so uh, uh, depraved that they're doing this to children who do not have the capacity or the power to actually do anything about it. Well, um, I think- So this, I, I'm just sorry. Yeah. This is why like, I find it, why I say rage, but I mean, these people are just really despicable human beings. But we also as humans, as adults are accepting this because- uh, Don't say we. Okay. Other adults are just accepting of this. Of so in the situation- I'm outraged. I'm concerned. I'm like, what do I do? Can I remove my kids? I don't think my ex-wife sees it in the same way, but she'll have the conversation. But I am aware that plenty of other parents are uh, aware their children are being taught these things, but but aren't outraged. So, I mean, we're quite uh, subordinate in the UK anyway, but there's this kind of like general acceptance of this is the way it is. Oh yeah, that's in the States as well, yeah. People like you and I are made to feel like, well, certainly maybe more you, I'm on a you know, slower journey, but made sometimes feel like the weirdos, the outcasts. Well, good. We're the, yeah. the weirdos are the ones who move any country. Yeah, It's always going to be the fringe. Who is, you know, my last book, The New Right, I, I have a line about on, on the fringes where uh, insanity and innovation lay. Uh, because when you're in the middle and someone's saying things never heard before, you have no real way of determining because there's so far, so many standard deviations away from the mean, whether this is a crazy person or this is a great genius of our times. So you don't really know. It just sounds unprecedented to you. Um, but yeah, uh, Mencken, H.L. Mencken, who I quote frequently, he was a great um, cynic of the early 20th century newspaper man. He had the quote about the average man does not want to be free. He simply wants to be safe. And I think people who are... Uh, interested in independence and who view life as a wonderful, magical adventure, regard people like this as quite literally soulless. But what if people do want to live like this? How do we coordinate them? The beauty of anarchism is they can do whatever the heck they want and we are free to thrive, whereas they are free to just have as much consequence on the earth as a butterfly. But you're not essentially free now. There are limitations oh, to what you can course. do. You might be free in your mind. No, I'm not free. There's yeah. many ways I'm unfree. The reason yeah. I'm, one of the reasons I'm moving from New York is I can't get a gun here. Now, this is very different connotations in the UK. But mm -hmm. here, you know, we have the Second Amendment, which I'm not particularly for or against. I'm not for the Constitution. But I am increasingly getting like some cool books from my house, right? I don't want to worry about being robbed if I put them on Instagram. Whereas if I go to Texas, I'll at least have some measure of security. Well, Again, that's another interesting point because I, I get asked that a lot being from the UK and it's like, and I've been thinking, I mentioned to you of moving to Austin as well. Uh, and that idea, I I'm, you know, would consider that idea of getting a gun. It'd be a huge step for me because yeah, because in the UK, we don't have guns. I kind of like that. That's the point, you know, and I know as a, I interviewed a British libertarian, it's like, no, we should be changing the laws here. Everyone should be able to own a gun. Someone runs into your house, a criminal with a gun, you have nothing to protect yourself. And I, I I agree with his point, but we've established a society where gun crime is, is 
very limited. We haven't. You haven't, but I'm, the I'm, British government has. Yeah, and I think that's. I sometimes think that's maybe one good thing. We don't have guns are not ubiquitous, and I kind of like that. Well, this is one of the. So one of the ways that anarchism is promoted is not by persuasion, but by putting steps in place to make um, people imposing their values technically impossible. Uh-huh. Uh, Bitcoin is a good example of this. Yeah, great. Right? Uh, but 3D printing of guns, Cody Wilson, Defense Distributed. Now, there's two scenarios. One is, you know, I can sit here and argue why guns are a good a thing and more people should have them or have at least the option. You might argue, look, slippery slope, you have a situation where everyone's armed, you're going to have innocent people being harmed, it's inevitable. This is not tenable. Let's figure something out. And then you have 3D printing of guns and you have gun proliferation. You're, you're SOL. There's nothing you could do at this point. Mm-hmm. So the best argument for gun laws isn't gun freedoms. It's gun proliferation. Because once there's enough of them out there, the conversation becomes moot. So that's where my money is. That's the point. Whereas if I was moving to Austin, I, it's certainly something I'd consider. I, I'd like to think I could live without it, but... I kind of feel like it's one of those things I would have to consider. You'd be happier. You'd be happy having, and I'm not a gun owner. Yeah. You'd be happy having it in a safe under your bed, under lock, so your kids can't get at it just in case. All right. Let's talk about the, the move to Austin and what's happened here. This is my, I've been to New York 20, 25 times. This the first time I've been back in 18 months. It wasn't as bad as I expected. I took my mask off at JFK and I haven't put it back on since. And, couple of strange looks, but no one's asked me to put a mask on. I've been to Starbucks, I've been shopping. But I have seen a lot of boarded up shops and bars. The Irish bars, every Irish bar I've seen is boarded up, which is disappointing for me. So there's upsides, I guess. Dude, I'm half Irish. Uh Someone will hear you. Yeah, it's okay. I I always look for the local Irish bar. Uh, But I I I haven't lived through what's happened here, but a lot of people I know, they're leaving. They're going to Miami, they're going to Austin. What did did I miss? Um... I've been here all my life. I moved here when I was two. Yeah. What they've done to this city, I will never forgive them. It's as if they took my kid and are beating him in front of me. Uh, There's so many... You're coming here as a tourist, right? Yeah. There's so many cool little restaurants and stores and boutiques and ice cream shops and bookstores, and they're all gone. When one of the, I like to travel, it's, it's uh, something I enjoy. And, and when you get to a certain point, having the kind of job we do, it's really great that we have that liberty to travel yeah. and see the world. And, and actually, you come here now, you're doing work, so it's win-win. What, one of the things I do is like it's hard to explore a new city because you don't want to do the touristy stuff. You're going to miss the cool things. What my trick is, I always go to the weird ice cream store in whatever town because you know that's going to be in the cool neighborhood, and you get to try someone be an independent creative artisan. The best one happens to be in New York. Ice and Vice. It was on the Lower East Side. It's gone. So all these little... We have seen a sustained attack on what is considered to be the backbone of any thriving economy. The small independent businessman, the creator, the guy who put up his shingle and is doing something different. They were the first ones to be destroyed by these lockdowns. Amazon, Target, all the Walmart, all the giant conglomerates, they're doing fine. It's the little guy who did not have the capital in the bank to last for a year. The quintessential American story is someone comes from overseas, they open a fruit stand or a laundromat, you know, and the kids work there as well, but now their children are having a far better future than the one they would have had back in the motherland. Those have been all destroyed. And there's no hand-wringing. There's no like, oh my gosh, we had to do this, but look at what cost, this is terrible. So these people, it's go- and it's going to continue until these politicians start having to face personal consequences for what they've done. 
Uh, and it's, 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 it's very, very hard for me as mm. someone who is a passionate New Yorker, who loves this city, who I was the guy when people were like, oh, it's so dirty. It's so hard here. The apartments are small. Oh, you don't get it. You know, you're just weak. And it's like, I, 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 I'm out. I can't do it anymore. I can't defend what has been done to this city. Uh, the priorities are completely misguided. So there's no mechanism by which things are going to get better, at least for the next four years. So I, I, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for real estate in Austin right now. What do you Thankfully, think- the book's doing well. Oh, good. We will talk about that. Yeah. But, but what do you think they should have done? Or what did they get so wrong? Because look, every state had a response. Even the red states had a response to begin with. Sure. Uh, I think all the responses were overblown. Okay. I think it would be much better as uh, the guy who emailed Fauci, I forget the guy's name, who just recently was mm-hmm. released, where if the focus was on the people who are the high-risk targets, which was the elderly and the morbidly obese, uh, and people who have lung issues as a whole. Um, I, I think they basically have just given up on, because the will isn't there anymore. I think the level of brutality we have seen, especially I think is in Belgium and in Canada towards peaceful populations is unconscionable uh, and is showing the nature of the state for what it is. I don't think there is a good answer. No. Bluntly. Like people are like, oh, under anarchism, what happens? Like there's no good answer. If there's a pandemic, no one... There's no country you could point to. Some did better than others, for sure. And we could follow their lead. But no one was like, all right, we emerged unscathed. So if you look at the charts in different states, the ones that had the mask mandates and the ones who didn't, they're remarkably similar. So I I think in a year or two, when we look back, people are going to realize they really uh, overreacted. But they also overreacted because that's where all the incentives were. Because if I, if someone is, is, if I'm a politician and people are dying, it's the blame's on me. But if, you know, I close down all these stores, it's like, well, what else am I going to do? Otherwise, there'll be death. And Cuomo, Governor Cuomo had said the same thing effectively during a press conference for all this. So, uh, like it, failing businesses are easier to digest than deaths. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But you look at who has done well. Um, for example, Australia would be considered, has done fairly well. My engineers are uh, based down in Australia. He can't leave the country. He, they couldn't walk their dogs. Well, that as well. And they would shut down the, you know, a couple of cases, they'll shut down the whole city for three days. But he literally cannot leave the country because we had the conference in Miami. And I was like, come on, you've got to come out. They're just He's not allowed to leave the country. Yeah, for two years now, uh, my buddy Chris Williamson, who's a British podcaster, we were going to go to Russia, which I'd left when I was a kid, mm. uh, and film it. And, uh, you know, that hasn't happened. So it's going to be looks like next year. So it's very unfortunate. But I do still, this is where I'm, you're going to see, I've still got some of my old kind of ways in me. I did spend time talking to doctors, okay. people working on the front line. Uh, I've got a friend who's a doctor in uh, London. Uh, he was on the front line when it first exploded. Now, there was a serious high number of people coming in getting sick. Uh, and to begin with, it first happened. I, I understood the urgent response. I understood why our, you know, our government and other governments made you know, strong decisions to lock people down. And, and, and in some ways, I did agree with it to begin with. Um, but now more recently that, that I've come to the understanding that they, they understand how to treat people better, how to treat people better in hospital, that it no longer makes any more sense. But I kind of understood it at the start. But for you... But if it worked, the prime minister wouldn't have been in the hospital. Well, 
see, that was at the very start when he was walking around hospitals shaking people's hands. But the point, like, what are you doing? Sure, but I mean, the, the point being, at, at a certain, if this, if everything worked, then you wouldn't be seeing that as a consequence. Well, I think I think the point I'm trying to get to is is that, <laughs> and certain, if you if you follow the stats to lockdowns, they kind of worked. It's for me, it's like, but is that the right moral choice? You know, you know, in, in, so in an anarchist society, it feels to me like there's just an acceptance that this is going to be a wave that comes through the population and we just accept it. No, not necessarily. An anarchist... We'll coordinate in a certain way. In an anarchist society, it would be very easy for every store to say, you can't go in here without a mask. Yeah. And every store would have their own choices. It could be no elderly people allowed in the store, no obese people allowed in the store. Or if, you know, if I have a grandma at home, mm. I, I'm going to only have no contact delivery. I mean... Every place would have its own mechanism. Now, as a consequence of this, it might not be ideal in terms of, of the spread. But again, we're dealing with a disease that has a 90, was a 99% mm. survival rate. Yeah. There's no mechanism where some people aren't going to be dying. Um, and I really question the premise that uh, these lockdowns, which were done haphazardly and all over the place, when you're dealing with something that's global, mm -hmm. I mean, any it, it's kind of like a dam, right? It's The water is going to find that hole. So when you're dealing with some kind of a worldwide thing where we have train uh, um, flights and people are crossing borders at the time, there's there does not seem to have been any kind of uh, ideal uh, situation. Well, I, th I think what, especially these masks, because you know the arguments like if you don't wear the mask, you want to kill grandma. Mm -hmm. We're not wearing the masks that are uh, effective against the virus. Number one. And number two is it's like a condom with two holes in it. These are this is a virus, and you're it's not skin tight. It's it's just and the question is like, well, something is better than nothing, but that something it has a cost. Well, the funny thing on the mask that got me to the point where I was like, this is just ridiculous. Is flying out. I flew to Germany from Germany to Costa Rica, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. My flight to Costa Rica. I'm I'm sat here. There's a lady sat next to me. Uh, and my mask has just slipped down my nose as it always does. And they're like, you need to pull that up over your nose. I was like, fine. Um, and what happened was my flight to Germany, there was no uh, there was no service in the air. Okay. I would just sit down for the whole flight. They had a food and drink service. So so I was allowed to take my mask off to eat and drink on the plate. So what I did is kept a glass of wine there the my whole time. My friend did that, yeah. yeah. And just slowly sipped it. I was like, this is pointless. But even this if... Pointless. Even, it doesn't make any sense. Even if that wasn't the case... If you have a mask and there's gaping holes and you're sitting next to someone, you're getting their diseases. Yeah. It's not, there's no other situation. Yeah. By the way, I ha if you go to um, minimallycompliantmasks.com, which I went to, it's just yeah. cheesecloth. So it gives the appearance that you're wearing a mask, but has no functionality whatsoever. Uh, so you're not opposed to mask wearing at all, right? Oh, I'm opposed. You wouldn't mean opposed. You're opposed. You don't, you're, you're not opposed to the idea of wearing a mask. You're not one of these people who's just refusing to wear a mask. No, I'm wearing a mask just for cosmetic reasons. Oh, really? But the, like I said, this is this is cheesecloth. It doesn't do anything. You can see me. <laughs> so are you wearing a, uh, a poorly performing mask as a protest? No, I'm wearing because I want to breathe. But you can breathe without the mask. Well, no, but this way I don't want to have to deal with the head. Like my gym, like you needed to wear a mask to work out. I'm like, okay. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that's fine. I mean, I've just got to the point where I'm just, I'm kind of done with it. But again. Oh, no. My new power move, which yeah. I like to do, is I'm on the subway in New York and I have the mask on on my wrist. So they see that I have it, but I'm not wearing it. And then you should, and no, and then you should cough into no, it. I, I, but no one <laughs> says anything. No one, and then that encourages other people to be like, what am I doing? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think there's that kind of realization 
Especially I don't have hunt. the symptom. It's this. First of all, this is there's something almost demonic about it because mm. it, the, there's is as far as I know, because uh, the science all over the place on this stuff. There's no such thing as asymptomatic spread. So I have had no symptoms. I'm not sick. I got tested when I was in Rogan. Came back negative. So listen, at a certain point, you're going to have to take responsibility for your own health, just as with AIDS. You have to assume whoever you're interacting with has it and take precautions or take those risks and be responsible for them. But I mean, you, you accept and believe it's a thing. There, Because in the Bitcoin world, we have a spectrum of... Spectrum is the right word, isn't spectrum it? Spectrum of people on this. There's a lot of people yeah, so like... Everyone's on the spectrum there. Who do not believe even that it, this is real. That what's real? That COVID, that COVID doesn't exist? Is real. Yeah. I, there are even people who don't believe it's real. I believe COVID yeah. is real. So I believe it's real. I believe it kills people. I believe like you, it's people who are diabetic or overweight, old, and then just the odd random person that, that's unexplainable sure. could be a 13-year-old kid. Just like a 13-year-old kid could have pneumonia and die. Of, of and course. it's a tragedy and it's horrible. Yeah. But in terms of containing spread, say, from country to country, what do you think about border controls in a time of COVID? I think that it, it's like uh, um, the Central American Indians. At a certain point, you, you can't keep those borders permanently, right? Mm -hmm. So what's going to end up happening? At some point, someone's going to cross that border. It, it, we've all seen the movies. Mm -hmm. It's it, From my understanding, it's literally impossible to have one country, even North Korea, uh, which you know obviously I've done work with there and I've been there, to seal a country so hermetically that no one is ever going to come in with COVID. Doesn't it seem, I don't see how that's possible. So we have to accept the wave comes and... I mean, isn't out. that basically what they did? They're like, all right, we got in this German wave or whatever. It's yeah, a yeah. Turkish wave. Well, we, have the in, we have the Indian, Indian wave, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in the UK now. Um, okay, that's fair. Next up, I talk to Michael more about anarchism. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's kick off with BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, offering a number of products to Bitcoiners. Now, with a BlockFi interest account, you can earn yield on your Bitcoin. Now, I've been a customer for nearly two years, and I love that my Bitcoin works for me. Also with BlockFi, you can get a Bitcoin-backed loan where you can borrow against your Bitcoin without selling. And you can now register for a BlockFi credit card, which is launching imminently, offering 1.5% rewards back on all card purchases. Now, if you're interested in checking BlockFi out, I recommend you do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, we have Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger user since early 2017. And do you know what? I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Now, Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. But if you are an Android phone user, you can also connect that to your Nano S and manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please do head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, we have Gemini, my exchange sponsor, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin but I've never sold any Bitcoin through them. Why would I? Come on. Look at all this crazy shit that's happening this year. I am only buying Bitcoin with Gemini, and I have been using the app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA, my dollar cost average, with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And you know what? I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. Now, with their streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, and that is all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And last up this week, but not least, is my newest sponsor, which is Revolut. Now, as many of you know, Lloyd's TSB, 
my bank for 25 years closed all my accounts down recently because they don't like Bitcoin. But who came to the rescue? It was Revolut. Now, it could not have been easier for me to create an account. I did move all my banking service over to them. But the most important thing is they like Bitcoin and they are making it easier to transfer to exchanges. And now Revolut are offering you $20 or £20 to all new customers that complete three card transactions. It only takes a minute to set up and you can create your card and add it to Apple Pay immediately to get that cash in your pocket. But you know what I would do. I would convert that to Bitcoin straight away. Now, listen, this is a new relationship, and I'm working with the Revolut team to help them build a bank which is Bitcoin friendly. There is a lot of difficult things to navigate, so please do bear with us, but we are going to do our best. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to revolut.com forward slash WBD, which is R-E-V-O-L-U-T.com forward slash WBD. Back to here, because you said you feel like the politicians here need to face consequences. Cuomo, de Blasio? Not just here, everywhere. Yeah, but is it de Blasio? De Blasio is the mayor, yeah. What, what consequences do you feel they should face? Well, I, I, I mean, I can't be answering that question, really. <laughs> but it, they're pretty bad. <laughs> but in an anarchist what, society... What, what consequences do you think people who kill the elderly to further their career should face? That's my answer. I think, right. I mean, there's... That's a very direct accusation that they've killed the elderly. How, okay. What, how, how do you explain how they killed the elderly? What consequences do you think people who send children overseas to slaughter or be slaughtered should face? To, who send young men and women in the military overseas yeah. out of, where they're safe here, put them into harm's way, what consequence, to kill or to be killed, yeah. what consequences should they face? Lying to do this. Yeah, and again, it depends on the scenario, but you know, no. well, well, in, in World War II, when we sent you know, young men to, to, to uh, fight and support the British in uh, defeating the Germans and you know, taking back France, uh, I believe that was a, a noble goal and I believe it was the right thing to do. Um, Despite the, you know, you said that, uh, you know, you can't comprehend the numbers of people who died. Right. I've been watching that World War II in color and it's just like, I just cannot get my head around it. I believe that was a necessary and just war. What about World War One? I? I don't know enough about World War One. That's okay. the problem. You can tell me, teach me about it and I can give you an answer, but I don't know. All, all I know is I know enough for World War Two to know that the defeat of the Nazis was something that should should have happened. Sure. And there's very few wars that I, I understand in detail. Uh, uh, when uh, Vietnam, was it Vietnam? They entered um, into Cambodia to defeat Pol Pot. Right. For me, that was a necessary war. And but it, I don't think that was to defeat Pol Pot. I mean, they were, they were I mean, bombing them, the yeah. Vietnamese from Cambodia, and they were basically crossing the border illegally was the situation. <laughs> okay. I mean, you'll probably know better than me, but what I'm saying, there's certain scenarios where a war does feel sure. just. If you're saying in terms of the Iraq war, yeah. I mean, I think every every one of those people should stand trial. I, uh, you know, we've we've got the guy who's appealing right now from the Balkans war. I forget his name. Um, who's up in the in the Hague for war crimes? What happened during in, in things in Srebrenica? Um, and I think there is more of a reason for Tony Blair to be facing the war crimes at uh, Tribunal in the Hague. I think George Bush. I even think, sadly, Colin Powell. I mean. This is great. This is wonderful. You're you're, you're nine tenths of the way there. But 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 I'm I've been very clear even before Bitcoin that I believe Tony Blair is a, a lion war criminal. And and something somebody opened my eyes recently. Do you know a guy called Alex Gladstein? No, I don't think so. 
I'll talk to you about him afterwards. I think you'd love to have him on your show. He's a Bitcoiner, but he works for the Human Rights Foundation. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, he's a wonderful human being. But he was explaining to me recently that the... Because I never understood what the Iraq war was about. And he said it happened not long after uh, Saddam Hussein started selling uh, oil for euros mm-hmm. to protect the petrodollar. That's essentially that war. Now, if people are lying and sending people to war to defend the status of the petrodollar, you're just criminals to me, yes. but you should stand far as trial and you should be tried either as, a, as a war criminal. But as an anarchist, do you believe you should have the Hague trying people? I'll take what I can get. You'll take what you can get. Yeah. So you, that's, within, that's one of those compromises I'm happy yeah, with. Yeah, within the, the confines of... I don't know about be the Hague, but yeah. Well, so, they should face trial somewhere and they should face time in prison, maybe worse. That would be my compromise. <laughs> that would yes. be your compromise. Um, are there just wars? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Iraq was even close to just war. No, I, Afga- I Afga- absolutely agree. Yeah, and and uh, and again, we spoke earlier about what can the state do well. I mean, the the, the not only was the Iraq war a disaster, the consequences were were you know completely disastrous. And set a very bad precedent. What people tend to forget, uh, you and I are a little older, is that uh, George Bush was inaugurated January of two thousand one. September eleventh was obviously September, so there's nine months there. They were talking beforehand, brazenly, about are we going to go and finish the job that George, uh, w, George W. Bush's father had started. Mm. So there was just not even a pretense that, you know, maybe it's not a good idea for the largest military on earth to be throwing their weight around and just invading countries whenever they feel like it, just because the guy's the job at the top is a dictator. Now, you can make that argument very easily. I, I mean, I do not think Saddam Hussein has some kind of right to life, that he mm-hmm. should be respected, he should be revered, that he should be treated. That, that you know, if someone took him out, it's reason to applaud. Uh, it's just that specific thing. But the, the, there's a bigger issue, uh, which I think people would be concerned about, is when you have this kind of military might makes right situation, that is, you, you have to ask yourself, are we the bad guys? Because historically speaking, if you read comic books even, the bad guy is the one who wants to conquer the world. And when you are want to have this kind of Pax Americana, that every country on earth has to basically be some kind of liberal democracy in the American model, that is just because we're the good guys, just ask us, we're the good guys, uh, that is really uh, kind of disturbing. So you're not the good guys? As the, the government, world, no. The government's never the good guys. Yeah. Well, in any scenario. Uh, well, they could be the better guys. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I'm I'm wondering right now. We saw the news yesterday with El Salvador. Yes, I mean this movement. That, you know, they've made Bitcoin legal tender. You have to, as an economic agent, you legally have to now accept Bitcoin. That's wonderful. It's it's incredible, amazing. What is the uh, response response from the US state going to be to this? I wonder. Uh, will they ban remittance now? That's a very good question, and I'm frankly surprised. I was on. Uh, um, a panel show with the guy blanking on his name, and he had been Obama's chief economic advisor. Okay. So he's a high, very high up in the Democratic Party, which is obviously the center left party here in the states. And he could not be more for Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, you know, this was designed to completely like destroy your schemes, right? And and he, I didn't, I didn't say this, of course, but I, I was um, delighted. To have so many people who are statists, maybe not cucks, but I don't, I'm not calling mm. you a cuck. I don't think he's a cuck, but who are absolute unmitigated statists. He's sat in the Oval Office, you know, advocating for increasing economic control by the state. For it, someone like that to uh, be pushing Bitcoin, I, I just think it's absolutely wonderful because I think it's just 
going to be complete poison to them. Well, we have Sen- Senator Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming. She is pro-Bitcoin. We have Congressman Warren Davison in Ohio, pro-Bitcoin. Uh, Mayor Francis, pro- Mayor Francis in Miami. Oh, yeah. But these, these are all like on the right side of the Republican Party is my understanding, right? No. So we're talking about someone who is really part of this progressive uh, in the sense of having these elites, basically Fabian society guide the country for him to see the merits of Bitcoin, which are undeniable. Um, but I don't think he appreciated the danger it would be to their control. There's very few people on the left who are big fans of Bitcoin. It's definitely a libertarian or right to center right, uh, uh, something that people from the, the, those kind of ends of the political spectrum seem seem to be a fan of. I'm, and I guess what it is, it doesn't fit within the kind of construct of uh, a social safety net. Or centralized control. More yeah, important. centralized control. That's yeah, the but issue. there is centralized control even on the right. Oh, of course, but yeah. those are the status cucks on the right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess so. Um, I've deviated. I want to come back to the Bitcoin because I kind of want to finish on that with you. But sure. uh, one thing I didn't really probably get to with you is this this idea of how how three hundred sixty million people do coordinate in an anarchist society. Um, I'm not going to use the word utopian. I saw Lex mention that, and I saw how does eBay work. Well, eBay is a marketplace, right? An online digital marketplace. So I'm in America, but it has rules set by eBay, right? Mm-hmm. So I—that's one example of. I'm sure the user base maybe it's not 300 million. I'm sure it's some extreme number. Yeah. Uh, I'm here in New York. You're in the UK. I buy something from you. You either screw me over or it gets lost overseas. eBay has an arbitration system that resolves within a day. If I try to use the and the possibility of state action between us is. Zero. I can't really sue you if you're in Britain and I'm in America uh, in terms of getting my shirt back. The cost for that would be prohibitive. This is the other big lie about government is the claim that, well, we have to have government because otherwise the poorest of the poor are screwed. The poorest of the poor have no access to government as a mediation device. To buy a lawyer is more expensive than buying a surgeon. They are the first ones who are going to be priced out. And the powerful uh, people will always have better access to lawyers. And the law is there's a great essay in here by John Hasness, who's a college, uh, college professor at Georgetown Law. The law will always be interpreted in favor of ideology, and that ideology will inevitably in favor of the powerful in order to sustain itself. So if you have something like eBay, you do have much more of a sense of equality because here are the facts from I'm the buyer. I paid him. Here's Peter's facts. Here's the bill of sale. eBay resolves it. Even if I don't get the result I want, which is, would be the case in a court system, at the very least, I'm saving myself time and money. So right away, you have an enormous advantage. Now, in terms of uh, scaling to 350 million, it doesn't have to. Give us Bermuda. You guys do whatever the heck you want. The Isle of Wight, do whatever you want in the rest of the world. Let us be free. So if even if you're claiming that, that uh, anarchist society wouldn't scale, there are plenty of tiny countries on Earth right now, and they're thriving. Tiny countries, but they're not anarchists. They still have... Correct. But there's many, but my point is, if your argument is this won't work unless it's 350 million people, I don't care. Like, let's let, let it have 10,000 people have whatever they want. It doesn't, it's not a numbers game. And there's many of these small countries, by the way, don't have militaries. Why do you stay in the US then, just out of interest? Because are you like, are you still like a proud American type, or you just like, I, forget I'm a, nationalism? I'm a very, very proud American, yeah. which is, I love this country. I hate the government because I love this country. Um, I don't, there, 
with anything, like when you're buying a car, when you're buying a house, when you're choosing a girlfriend or you're buying a book, there's many, many factors to factor into. Now, liberty for me is an extremely high factor, but so are things like culture, so are things like my family, my friends, and you have to weigh all these factors mm-hmm. that every individual does. What anarchism does is it gives you the maximum amount of those choices and lowers costs to the absolute minimum. So how do you get there then? Like, What are the steps you can take? One of the things I, I imagine is that certainly in our lifetime, we won't see uh, the US as an anarchist society. But perhaps, maybe maybe we'll sure. hyper-Bitcoinize. I, I don't think so. But, but is it, for you personally, is it just about teaching people about anarchism? Or or do you think, do you kind of accept that we have the state, there's a pull and pull on the left and the right, and perhaps if there's a growth in anarchism, that also pulls the society into a better direction? Yes. Uh, but I also think that, as I said earlier, anarchism is a relationship and yeah. anarchism is the norm, number one. Number two is I think we are far faster than I could have ever dreamed. The success of this book was indicative of this. Yeah. It was the top nonfiction book on Amazon for an entire day, number three on all of Amazon behind Dr. Seuss and a novel whose name I, I don't remember. I thought Dr. Seuss was banned. Well, no, I think that's, this is some of them are, right? Yeah. The fact that there was this... Uh, um, huge audience for my work and the work of the people whose essays are in this book completely threw me off guard. I didn't have a big launch. I didn't have a rollout. And it's selling ridiculously highly, highly well. I think what we're seeing is you're seeing it in, in European parliaments, uh, like the Swedish um, government has like nine parties. Czech has like 12. Uh, now the Greens are picking up speed in the UK. In Britain, sorry, in Germany, the two, the two major parties aren't able between them to get 50%, which nope. with countries like the US and UK, to have the two parties who are the top between them not get 50% makes no sense to us because it's going to be 95, right? You're going to have the Lib Dems maybe get their 5%, but yeah. it's going to be 95 Tory or Labour. So to have this increase, if you go to a supermarket in the 80s, comedians used to joke about like, oh, you have caffeine-free Diet Pepsi now, ha ha. We have... Infinite choices in every other endeavor, but in politics, it's supposed to be reduced to a binary. What if, look, if my choice are Coke or Pepsi, maybe I want water. So I think there is an increasing understanding that the state is inherently illegitimate. Uh, there's an increasing understanding that many of our neighbors do not think like we do and never will think like we do. And any system that is predicated on getting a large part of our neighbors to think like we do is a Sisyphean affair that's doomed to failure. And people are looking for alternatives. And what anarchism is, you know, having citizenship by geography, I always say, is landline technology in a post-smartphone world. Like if I'm trying to call you, I'm trying to call Peter. I don't call your house in the UK because you're traveling a lot. There's no reason your security, your person can't be a function of that as well, as opposed to which two oceans you happen to be between. Well, I think there's probably many people like me who are, who are slowly you know, more recently come to realize like we, we've been lied to a lot. Yes. I think the pandemic actually has done a lot for oh, yes. the anarchist movement. Yeah, you know, I've got friends at home who previously, by the way, and, and I've got a you know, I've been talking about Bitcoin to them for years. They don't give a shit. Like they're like, shut up P about this Bitcoin thing. But more recently, it's not that they're asking me about Bitcoin. That you know, we've got a friend who's organizing a birthday and she was uh, sending text rounds and she was saying, We're going to this one. And we have to we have to wear a mask to walk in the entrance. And she was just saying, and then she messaged me privately. She's like, I don't fucking get it anymore. Nothing makes sense. What about anymore. the restaurants where you wear a mask to walk in? And then when you sit down, you take the mask off. Because obviously only standing can you spread COVID. Of, co- of course. But the point being is, she, I could, this is somebody 
who historically would not have considered maybe a book like yours, but she's peeling back the layers and goes, this is all fucking nonsense. Right. And I think there's a lot of people realizing this. I think a lot of people are starting to realize like this pandemic, we've just been lied to so much. Things don't make sense. And it's also empowered uh, urban, educated, uh, leftist elites to feel that their constant state of anxiety and depression or whatever it is has an external source. And it's also allowed low, low status people to have a position to assert dominance over others because now yeah. you have an excuse to go up to that person and get in their face and enforce the rules of the master class. Put, put your mask on. Yes. Put your mask now on. I have a way to assert dominance over someone else, whereas previously I was completely powerless. What is that about though? Why are pe- people like that? Like, but just evolutionary psychology, I think, don't but, you think? Doesn't it worry you? I mean, look, the, I talked to, who was I talked to? There's a libertarian guy I talked to, uh, I forgot his name, Scott Horton. I had a great chat with Scott Horton. And we talked about the big red button. If you had the big red button, he mm. said, no, that would be a terrible idea. That everything would be in a mess. What's, we, the big red button, you can turn off the state immediately. Suddenly there's no government. He's against it? Well, yes, because he says that's chaos. He said, what you need to do is wean yourself off the state in some way. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm like, don't hold me to this. I want to check it. But I'm okay. almost certain he said the big red button would be problematic. My question more to you is, is this not just a natural way that humans organize? So imagine we had the big red button. Tomorrow there's no government. We all have to arrange ourselves. Do we suddenly just repeat the same mistakes? Because of who we are as humans. You know, maybe you're an outcast who would want to coordinate in a you know, free way with me. But there are people like, I just want someone else to organize this. So we create groups and then we create governance and then suddenly we have we have the guys with the money and the guns and we we end up recreating what we have now. Like, so that's that is a, uh, I'm not trying to use this word in a pejorative sense. No, that it's is, fine if you that are. Is a fairy tale because that is how governments claim that they came into being. But no, the first essay in this is by um, he's a William Godwin, I believe his name is. I want to get William Godwin from 1793. Yeah, and he goes after Rousseau with this idea of the social contract. No government has ever so much as even pretended that this is how it created. All governments are a function of conquest or domination. Number one. Number two is I strongly disagree. And I think if you think about this, you'd agree with me that simply because there's organ, this is some mistake people get anarchism, just because there's some semblance of organization that therefore it's a government. It's completely not true. If I go into Macy's, uh, the department store, Harrods, uh, to use your vernacular, and there's like, you can only buy, if you want to buy red currants, it's one per customer. Uh, Males aren't allowed into the women's clothing section for whatever dubious reason. Maybe you have to have a membership card to walk in. They're just setting up a new program. None of that is a government. Uh, These are all systems of organization. So while I agree with you completely that human beings, when we get together, we do organize. Uh, This was an organization right here. That no way implies that this organization has to be involuntary or has to be imposed by a government. Okay. But I agree. But here's, neither of this is hypothetical. If you go online, people can find this in two seconds. There's a video of, there was some place, I forget where it was, I think it's Barcelona, where the traffic lights broke. It wasn't car accidents. They very quickly like had a system where it's like one, two, three, four, and everyone takes turns because people by their nature prefer to cooperate, not because they're generally kind, but because conflict and violence is very, very expensive. If you have a knife fight, you're getting stabbed, even if you win. Yes. So what, why does the state exist? Is it just certain people are drawn, psychopaths are drawn into this role yes. where they want to control people? Is it greed? What, it what gives is them it? power, gives what? them status. Think about it. In America, you're, as the, you're spending a billion dollars to get a $200,000 a year job, the presidency. Yeah, but the, 
I find the US very different from the UK. Okay. Uh, I think one of the big differences is the lobbying system. Sure. Um, and how much uh, it appears that uh, politicians can monetize their role whilst in power. In the UK, they tend to monetize it afterwards. Sure. Yeah. That's your left office with having literally zero dollars in her bank. Yeah. And yeah. um, Tony Blair gets X amount for his speeches. Speech yeah. Whilst he should you know, be in jail. But I do also believe there are there are good politicians who do want to do a good job, who who really do support their constituents. It isn't just about power. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah. But a great example of this is the is the church, the Catholic Church. So for yeah. centuries, the church had military and they had the crusades and they were in a position to basically impose the Catholic worldview onto the countries where they had dominion. Uh, then you had things like the anti-popes in France with French people said, this is the Pope and, the, and Rome said, this is the Pope. Now that the Vatican doesn't really, you have the, the, Swiss, the Vatican doesn't really have an army or it's certainly a small one. It's a tiny country within and contained entirely within Italy. You look at the Pope uh, with John Paul or the current one, Francis, as a man of peace. You look at him as a moral exemplar. You know, you, I'm not Catholic. You can listen to him. Maybe people don't like him because he's uh, left of center, whatever, so on and so forth. But it never enters your head that even for a Catholic person, many Catholic people are like, you know, I'm, I'm pro-choice. Like I, I, I'm a strong Catholic. I believe in the Pope, but I, or I take umbrage with him on this issue and so on and so forth. And the church allows for a certain miracle of that. So there's no reason why in a free society, you wouldn't have people who are community organizers who are pointing out this is uh, um, uh, busy bodies at their best when they're like, hey, this disease has gotten no attention and these kids are suffering because there's not that many of them to make enough of a fuss. I'm going to be the one who's going to get the bullhorn or, you know, look what's going on with this river. Let's all get together and figure out a way to make sure there's not pollution. So, yeah, there's absolutely a mechanism for people who want to make the world a better place and who in some ways are drawn to politics because they have certain talents that are not at all nefarious, but there's no reason for them to be having the mechanism of the state. And they certainly have a role in a free society, as I just described. So, so how do we end the state? How do we do it? How does it happen? Well, uh, as, uh, no, a big a, question. as Hemingway said, gradually yeah. and then suddenly. Gradually and suddenly. That's a term we use in Bitcoin, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Parker Lewis. I actually released a show today with a guy called Parker Lewis, and it's from his Gradually and Then Suddenly series. Is that his real name? Parker Lewis. Because there was a show in the 90s, which I was a huge fan of, called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. It was a rip of Ferris Bueller. <laughs> and Corin Nemec followed me, the actor, on um, Twitter, and it completely like blew my mind, and I was so giddy. Dude, he's another smart guy. we got a lot of smart okay. people in Bitcoin. Oh, I, oh, I, I know it. Yeah. I, I'm very familiar with, with the space. Yeah. So... One of the big things that uh, Trump did very well and that Boris Johnson does well as well is to have encourage people to realize that those who are ostensibly our leaders are often clowns mm-hmm. and are deserving of derision at best. And this certainly applies for both sides of the aisle in, in, or in many sides of the aisle in multi-party parliamentary systems. So that I think once people wake up and they're like, wait a minute, why am I bending the knee to these really horrible, mediocre people who are self-serving, and you can't blame them, uh, more power to them in a sense, like what do you expect them to do? Uh, And I think it's just going to be that. And also things where mechanisms are put in place, where enforcement becomes impossible, that will also be, and this kind of cynicism towards the law will be of great use. Here's an example in the States. Uh, In, I think it was 1990, it was quite a while ago, Colorado decided to have medical marijuana. Now, it was legal on a state level. They had, a, I believe, a referendum. People voted for it. It was still 
grossly, completely illegal on a federal level. Mm-hmm. Because we have state law, we have federal law. Mm-hmm. They went for it anyway. There were raids from the federal government. This was just system defiance. At a certain point, you have enough states who have either decriminalized marijuana or legalized it entirely. It's still illegal. The federal government at any moment can go in and shut any of these down. They're blatant defined a federal law, uh, defines federal law. The point is, at a certain point, the costs of enforcement outweigh the benefits. Same thing that happened with prohibition, same mm-hmm. thing as other things. So one way to end the power of the state is A, to decrease its power in terms of legitimacy and respect, but also B, increase the costs of imposing its worldview. It would almost be helpful if we had a form of money that the government didn't control right. that was or several decentralized. Or several forms of money. Mm, tricky area. Okay, tricky yeah. Tricky area. Well, that's what, that's what freedom is all about. Do you know, as an anarchist, uh, when Bitcoin came along, that must have been one of the pieces of the puzzle that's missing because it's very hard to trade with gold. But and you, can't, you, you have to have a form of money. You don't want state money. What was the solution before Bitcoin? But here's here's the well there was I mean my here, like one way that's going to solve the, the here's two things yeah the other good thing about Bitcoin it's it's allowing the right people to get very very wealthy very yes. very quietly and that is a really important thing number one number two is um, I forgot my train of thought well it it it, it, it tends to attract the weirdos and the outsiders and the outcasts in in some way or another. Um, we've all just been together in Miami having a great time, and but everyone seems to have some kind of like screwed up story in the past. Yeah, you were talking about maybe many monies, and I, yeah, I said it's a tricky subject. What I was saying is, oh, well, yeah, so I was telling yeah. you, I've been thought censorship. Yes, right. I use this example in my previous book, The New Right. Let's suppose it's twenty years ago. You and I are having an argument over censorship, mm-hmm. and you say. Freedom of speech, you can't ban any books, so on and so forth. And I'm like, hold on a minute. What about books like Mein Kampf? What about books that are filled with lies that cause you know, violence in our cultures? What about things like child pornography? And we can argue back and forth all we want. Parker Lewis appears magically from 2021 and says, hold on, fellas. Like This argument is moot. Where I come from, you can duplicate any book infinitely and send it anywhere on earth at the speed of light and you could also make it so only someone knows the magic word can even read the book, right? And how, oh yeah, okay, Mr. Parker Lewis, how yeah. much does this cost? Oh, it's free. You would th- we would think he's a lunatic, he's right? Crazy, or this yeah. is going to be a thousand years in the future, but that's the status quo. That yeah. is currently the reality. So things like Bitcoin, things like the ability of humans to move quickly, it's really easy. The problem the state has is it, whatever freedom we have with our money or with our uh, books, we could still be locked in jail. If there was a way... I don't know how this would entail. This would be a technological thing where that was not a possibility. They're really SOL. So I, I'm all in when it comes to technology being what liberates us. But what was, you know, prior to Bitcoin, what was the anarchist view and what would be money? Because it money was gold, this, the gold standard. It was and gold ending standard. the Fed, yes. But this this has yeah. been discussed for a long time. But gold, gold isn't really a great medium of exchange for a number of reasons, which we know as Bitcoin is, which is why we think it's better than gold. Correct. But gold is certainly better than the Fed and having fiat currency. Are you now in the boat of Bitcoin is the best form of money ever? Period. Um, I don't. I would say crypto. Sure. I, I don't know enough about the. I, I I don't. I really don't want to hear it from the audience. I don't know enough about the different. <laughs> Do not give him shit. He's they they can. I just. I, I mean. I'm. I'm pretty block heavy. Yeah. Um. I don't know enough about the different uh, 
uh, shit coins and Ethereum and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But yes, I, I, I'm absolutely a crypto person. I mean, I'm not the smartest Bitcoiner. That is known. My understanding that I've come to between Bitcoin and shit coins is the one thing that Bitcoin has focused so heavily on, so heavily on, is decentralization. Sure. We fought a civil war over it. Um, we keep the block size very small. So whether you're here in New York or whether you're in El Salvador, living in El Zonte, or you're in Nigeria or you're in China, what you can spin up a laptop, you can download the entire blockchain and you can verify every transaction. Bitcoin has done that brilliantly. And that's what gives us censorship resistance. And that's what uh, maintain, helps us um, maintain it um, trustless. It's just, that's what it's focused on. Whereas something like Ethereum has create, it's been created for dApps and smart contracts. I think the whole Bitcoin blockchain is something like 350 gigabytes. Whereas like... That's it? Something like that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you can literally download yeah, it to yeah. your laptop. Whereas Ethereum is something like four terabytes. But Peter, how are you going to coordinate a system of 350 million Bitcoiners without the state? Well, you have a form of money. Right, yeah. You can coordinate. Ourselves. Right. Um, so I, I, I'd be interested in... I, I'm surprised you haven't gone more down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, actually. It feels very aligned to what you're doing. Uh, other than pro-life people, I haven't found any population that are more off-putting <laughs> in terms of being bad at promoting their worldview than the Bitcoin people. You think so? Yes. See, this is what Lex felt. This is what Weinstein felt. This is what Elon is feeling right now. This seems to be a common kind of view. And it's funny, I sometimes go back and forth. Sometimes when I'm... I think it's a range. Yeah, yeah. It's It's completely a spectrum. Yeah. How do you think we're bad then? What do you think we get wrong? Um, I think there's this... I wouldn't say we, because again, again, it is again, a big yeah, population. Yeah, yeah. And, and a certain Bitcoin. Is there, I think, What's the bits that you're finding negative? Sure. There is a certain type of Bitcoiner who thinks it, it's just binary. Mm-hmm. If you're claiming you're for freedom and you're not talking about Bitcoin as your primary mechanism of achieving that freedom, you're a phony or a liar. Um, and there's also a um, kind of this purity test where they're more than happy to dismiss someone. It's like, well, you're not of use because you're not orange-pilled. So, cool. I, if I'm not of use to you, that is certainly your prerogative. And we can both live our free lives. I hope you thrive. I hope you succeed. Mm-hmm. And we can just walk our separate ways. Hmm. The toxicity thing seems to be this barrier that people hit. Uh, I think it's, it's more of a problem if you've already got a profile. Well, let me let me take a step back. Yeah. So Dave Smith is trying to be the libertarian candidate for president of the Libertarian Party. Yes. He's a very failed uh, comedian. And, I, and he asked me to be his press secretary. And I said, I will only do it if I have financial security, meaning that if the corporate media comes after me and tries to ruin my life, that I still won't be homeless. And the only money I'm taking is either Bitcoin or Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So I'm, my rate is going to be, once I have one Bitcoin a month, and it's and it's going to be a public wallet. I'm not going to. I'm going to hodl it until election day, 2024. Once that's taken care of, then I'll sign on. So I am putting my money where my mouth is. I'm now for a certain amount of people. I'm still the enemy or a fellow traveler, whatever term they want to use, and and that's that's their prerogative. But I think when you they're, they're, and I'm also a velvet rope person, so I do appreciate 
that when you find something that really is magical and wonderful, that you want to be protective of it mm-hmm. and you want to be its champion and you want to be uh, like, look, I found this, you know, truth and you know, everything else you're saying is like Plato's cave. You don't get it. This is really the way. I get that mindset a lot. I'm just saying that if your strategy is to get me to be more aligned with you, you're not going about it the right way. I don't mean you personally. Yeah, no, no, but but actually, yeah, this is one of those steps. Yeah, this conversation was one of those steps. It's for me to learn a bit more about you and my audience to learn a little bit more about you and uh, have find because sometimes see I just make the same point about some anarchists. Sure, they don't approach it in the right way for me because yeah, I'm better than all of them. You, you know, you're great. You know, I'm I'm asking probably very amateur questions that you're used to, and I'm just figuring out my my own journey uh, uh, with this. But some anarchists for me are, are very you know toxic with it. Oh like, sure, fuck you. Yeah, you know, I've told you, fuck you. You're a status. Get the fuck out of it. Like I. I get there's a group who call me a spook. They think I'm a government spook, um, and it's that's quite aggressive there as well. So sure. I mean, I could make the same point back at some some anarchists, but maybe they're just Bitcoin anarchists. <laughs> no, but you're not wrong. Yeah, I, I'm not. My I'm not here to people can't wrap their heads around here. Yeah, I'm not here primarily to promote anarchism. I'm not here to promote anything. Uh, uh, I am interested. If I could spread anything, it's happiness and joy. Yeah, and I believe very fervently that anarchism maximizes the possibility for people to achieve happiness and joy in their lives. Um, but it's secondary to that goal. Yeah, it's funny because I see Bitcoin as maximizing the opportunity to achieve freedom. Yes, yeah. I mean, we're seeing a country... Trying- but it's a means to an end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's a, a chance to you know, defund the state. Yes. You know, reduce uh, tax payments. Uh, it's essentially free right now. We're seeing in live, in real time, a country free itself from the US dollar. The advantages are so overwhelming yep. in so many different ways that I don't think it's an easy sell. Mm. So if, you, I mean, in terms of persuasion, I, I, I'm a little good at it because I'm probably, probably spread anarchism more than anyone else mm. on earth. Um, that, that I don't think, when people are bad at persuasion, it's very useful to be like, come in very aggressive and antagonistic. Then when you don't persuade the person, it's like, oh, it's their fault. It's not. Sometimes it's your fault. Yeah. If that is your goal is to persuade people. My goal is not necessarily persuade people because I'm not a democracy person. Yeah, that, that's a fair point. And, and you are persuasive. Sure. Yeah. Today, I'm... I, I'm I don't even know how to put it. It's like, I think I'm at that kind of final stage of like fully shedding. I think once you read the book, a lot of things well, will fall I've into been, place. I, you know, it, it wasn't the book I expected. Okay. okay. Firstly, I thought I just expected a book of your writings. Okay. So I read the start and I was like really into it. And then I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so I found myself picking and choosing and, yep. just, and then skipping Good. and skimming. Yep. But actually, I, I think before, I, th- I think I need another book before that. I think I need just like, I, I, re- I ended up reading, was it Chomsky's, Chomsky's book on? Anarchism? Manufacturing Consent? Which no, one? it's another book. Okay. Uh, Chomsky on, it's like his Chomsky's own. a tough one. That's yeah, not the way and to again, do it. I, I struggle with that. I, I just kind of need a book on anarchism, but that's somebody just explaining it to me. What about Economics in One Lesson? Have you read that one? I've read that, yeah. yeah. I, that book's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that book's is. What else would you recommend? Like for the listeners as well. Um, I don't know that I, 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 what I would recommend this is how I learn any subject is I would read the anarchist handbook and yeah. there's like 20, uh, thinkers in here from mm-hmm. all ranges of the black flag. And if someone 
picks your interest, read some, read a whole book of theirs. Okay. And, and follow your train of thought where it goes. Yeah. Definitely at that point where I'm, I have questioned everything. I am rethinking everything from my children's education yeah. to money to work to my relationships with people to how I've even reflected on how we, how in the past I think maybe I've enforced my own authority on people, like my children even in, in ways that I'm, not proud of like you need a job so you must do this yeah. and don't waste your schooling now I'm like my son wanted to be here and it was like I oh, you know you got to do your schooling here what, in New York no just with me on this trip yeah and I was like why the fuck is he not with me right right like, what an education sat here listening to this yeah and and it, it, I'll, I'll give you a, a parallel I, I think it's very healthy what's happening with you and I'm, I'm very excited to hear it I'll give yeah. you a similar example in 2004 I think it was uh, Harvey Pekar of American Splendor fame, he had a movie coming out, and Ted Hope, who was the producer, sent out an email to his company that said, Harvey's in town with nothing to do. If you want to hang out with him, this is your chance. No one took him up on it other than me, and Harvey ended up writing a book about me, which now goes for $500 on eBay, if you can believe wow. it. But the point is, people are so used to having their blinders and just you know going through the motions that they they very rarely even stop, even if they, it was still the right decision from go to school. I think it's very healthy to be like, wait, hold on. Like I'm on autopilot. Is this really such a cost? And what are the benefits here? And when you start questioning, uh, here's another great example that, that I used to work, I was using, this is 20 years ago. I was the tech support for Goldman Sachs, which is a very nefarious organization. That's surprising. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was what it was. And they would want you they couldn't understand, I'm using this very specifically and literally, my teammates, that I would prefer to stay home than to work overtime. Because A, you're getting time and a half. So it's not like you're volunteering. You're getting paid. And B, the team needs you. I don't care about Goldman. Like this place can burn to the ground. I'm not, <laughs> if it does well, it does not, I'm salaried. I don't care. Yeah. Number two is my time, because I was trying to be an author back then, I would rather have that hour than to have that time and a half money. And it just didn't, it, it, I, it was like talking to a wall because most people just basically take what the choices are as given and never even, and this is just a specifically anarchist thing, never like, well, hold on a minute. Like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm supposed to send my kid to school, but if we go to New York, we go to some museums, maybe he sits and watches his dad. He may think dad's cooler than he is because he's watching dad work his magic. Like, what do it really cost here? And that's, I think I would strongly encourage more people to think in those terms. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am. I mean, I'm going to have to do some negotiations with the ex-wife. I'm with you on the time thing as well. That uh, I used to have a, not a corporate job, I used to work in London in, in advertising and long, stressful hours. To get to that point where you have the freedom over yeah. your time, you can wake up every, like this being work is a, is a blessing. I feel very fortunate. I wake up at 11 every day, bed at 2 a.m. every day. Oh, well, I'm, I'm still, I still get up at 6 or 7, but I get to choose my day. Yes. You know, I, I, I mean, my commitment is to you today, but this is, this is pleasure. This is fun. This is incredible. I get to choose my time. And, and I think not enough people are lucky enough to have that or, or pursue it maybe because they pursue money or but status. I, and Peter... What is better than like, hey, I remember 20 years ago, I went to New York with my dad. I know. And we got oh, this on. like little magnet. Like, this is what life is about. He's been, we, we chat every day. Uh, actually, I did get some dad points the other day because I was at the, the conference and Jake Paul was there and I got him to FaceTime my son. And okay. I was like the coolest dad in the world for 24 hours. Uh, but he would like this. He'd yeah. like to, he's questioning everything himself. 
He's like, why am I at school, dad? I, I also just like any relationship, your, your girlfriend, your friend, your, your nephew, the two of you for three days, like us against the world, that is like the best memories ever. That's quality time at the 10th degree. It's funny you should say that. I met this girl uh, in Miami. Uh, I haven't dated for ages and we got on really well. Uh, God, she, she might even like me saying this. Uh, so she's working in real estate and she's like, just I love what you're doing. I was like, well, why don't you quit your job and come out here? Yeah. She quit her job today. Hell yeah. Literally quit her job today. She is on a plane right now over here. Isn't I'm going to get a load of shit online for this. But yeah, she's literally flying here now. That's so wonderful. She's quit her job. And I was like, just come and do this with me. There's, there's, this, there's this great... Ayn Rand gets a bad rap you mentioned earlier. I've interviewed Yaron Brooks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you've seen me on Lex with Yaron. There's this moment when she she's... Uh, and and I, I just hope everyone just... If you don't like Rand, just, just give me 30 seconds of your time because <laughs> you're going to like this quote, okay? Yeah. She's on Donahue and he goes, you've liberated thousands of people with your books where you tell them, if you want to do it, do it. And she goes, and the audience applause, she goes, thank you. And if I've helped them, I'm delighted. And I think uh, we're born knowing that life is a magical adventure and it teach them takes them years to train us to believe otherwise. So freedom, like that girl, it's like, do I want, this is the thing, this is what drove me crazy. I was a business major because I knew that would be the best credential in terms of getting a job. And I saw so many of my, and when I first graduated school, I was temping because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I figured if I bounce around, it's like, let, at some point I'm going to get a high paying job that I enjoy. Because mm. you're going to get the low paying job you don't enjoy, you're going to get all over the, the, the bell curve. And, you know, having this kind of sense of the Faustian bargain, you sell your soul and you become the top author or you become, uh, you know, you, you have a mansion, you have this beautiful girlfriend or w- whatever it is. To sell your soul, to make 50 grand a year at the same desk for 20 years, that's not the Faustian bargain. I get why you'd want to sell your soul, but sell it so you could do this. Mm. Sell it so at the drop of a hat, you could take your family to Japan because there's some concert your son or daughter wants to see. That is what you sell your soul for. But here's the beauty of it. You don't have to sell it. You could keep it. Yeah, you get to keep your, you soul keep your soul and do all these things, and especially when you're young. Like I, I'm so encouraging of young people who ask me this. It goes, even if you fail, when you're older, you're going to look back and be delighted that you tried, as opposed to driving that desk and and dying. I know a very real sense when you're 22. Well, the funny thing is, it feels risky sometimes quitting a job and oh, going out. It's very job. risky. But, but but yeah, but some it's also very risky staying in it. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a, it's not risky, it's a certainty that you are going to be in a hamster wheel and yeah. you're helping make other people rich. And yeah, and you you 10 years are going to pass and you're not going to know what's happened. Right. Right. It's very different when you have a family. So I'll give them credit for that. Of, like of you course. have to make these sacrifices. Look, I don't have many options. I'm not educated. I got to put food on the table. I get it. I get it. But if you have that space, uh, do something with it. Yeah, I mean, look, I've got children. Yeah. But and, and you know, there's a lot of luck in this in, in my own personal uh, situation, but I can at least say to my children who don't have children, thankfully, uh, I can say to them, "You don't have to follow this yeah. hamster wheel. You don't have." I mean, I'm saying that he, he, there's actually a, 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 an art college here he wants to go to, and, and I uh, press. I've got it written down somewhere. It's the one that uh, Ai Weiwei went to and Tom Ford. Okay, I can't remember the name. I'm, I'm going to go and see it tomorrow and just find out about Parsons. It. Parsons. Yeah. Yeah. He's interested. And, you know, as he's an artist. Great school. I don't mind. 
and therefore he kind of has to finish school sure. to get into that. Sure. And I, I'm cool with that. Uh, um, if he was going to study something like I did, or if he was going to go and study marketing or sort of, I would be like, it's just not worth it, dude. That is because he's an artist. I think that's something worth considering. And I think being out in New York would be great for him. Very stimulating. Yeah. yeah. So there's two two things left that I haven't asked you that I didn't okay. want to ask you about. Libertarians and sure. anarchists. Sure. Where do they differ? Six months. Six months. That's the joke, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it, the difference to me seems to be that libertarians seem to be more willing to engage in politics. It's not Not all, but some are willing to engage in politics. Ron Paul... It's a great example. Sure. And that at least you can try and attack it from the inside. Like you talked about multiple parties like we have in the UK. You don't, you've got this binary system here. Wouldn't it be great to have that third libertarian party? No. No? Okay, great. But you must be a fan of Ron Paul. Of course, but he, Ron Paul ran as a libertarian. He also ran as a Republican twice. Where yeah. did he make the Ron Paul movement? He wasn't as a libertarian. No, no. But it seems to me that libertarians are more willing to engage in politics. And if you were, you just look at them and go, I'll see you in six months. Well, I mean, I'm very engaged in politics. Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I'm not. I I don't believe in the validity of the of the electoral process, but I'm certainly someone who's who's basically his job is to be engaged in politics. And if you were willing to be press secretary for Dave Smith, yeah. So you are willing to engage in the process of something that you think is illegitimate. How does that How does that compute for me? Well, I, I mean, I don't have a choice. Like I, I did jury duty. And when yeah. I did jury duty, I, I told them uh, I lied because I said I won't convict, vote to convict. I'm an anarchist because I thought that'd get me off. And they said too bad. And once but you're, I, ob you're obligated to 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 do jury duty, correct? You're not obligated to be a press secretary for Dave Smith. So it's slightly it's slightly different. Well, no, no, but I am obligated to be under the thumb of the federal government, right? So of course. yeah. So in that case, I am obligated to participate in politics. My tax money is being taken from me. I'm being rendered defenseless in my own home. So yeah, I, I don't have a choice about being participating in politics. That's the issue. I think you do though. I'm not, this is one, I'm sorry, I'm not sure on this one because you could just abstain from involvement. You could choose- I, I, I cannot pay taxes? N no, you could pay your tax because you know, your other choice is to you know, face jail. Right, yeah. But you won't face jail by not engaging in politics. Oh, right. But I, I mean, in this case, I'm getting, uh, I, I would get, Paid and, okay. and it would be a lot of fun because I would be unleashing a season of poison on the two major political. Well, parties. that's what I'm saying. Is this is this what it is? That you can go in and you can you can you know cause some problems. You can be yeah, you can be. I would make Donald Trump look like uh, Julie Andrews. I would be because I have <laughs> such contempt and hatred for the political for the enemy class right. that uh, he would bring me on as like a social media person that. I think it would be uh, um, people would be taken aback, and I would revel in it. Okay, this I is where this, this. I, I was born in the Soviet Union, so this is where my Ivan Drago would come out. <laughs> Rocky Four, man, that was yeah. the first Rocky I saw. Was it? Yeah, because of my age, I saw it before I saw the other ones. Yeah, I had such fond memories of it. I watched it recently. I didn't realize how shit it is. Of course, yeah, yes. yeah, but like, yeah, but the first two Rockies hold up. Okay, yeah, I still think they're great films. Okay, my my final question: um, Where do Anarchists disagree with each other because I know libertarians disagree. Are there like are there certain things that anarchists disagree on? Or this entire book, you know, the slogan I have is the black flag comes in many colors. Yeah. So they agree 
they don't even agree on the definition of anarchism. Brilliant. So the the, <laughs> the left anarchists, the European tradition, the the original, the Bakunin people, the Proudhon people, they were against any semblance of hierarchy whatsoever. Uh-huh. The more recent, uh, more American version, uh, David Friedman, Murray Rothbard, is against the idea of the state, but they have no issue whatsoever with hierarchy per se. That's one issue. Uh, another issue is what an anarchist society would look like. I, I mean, again, these essays are you know, cover the entire spectrum. So uh, when, when you essentially are opposed to something, anarchism is a negation, what the positive alternative would look like, there's, you know, infinite choice. It's, it's like saying, uh, what do fashion people agree on? Well, they agree that you should have clothes, but that, that <laughs> really doesn't tell you very much. Yeah. So anarchism would, what they agree on is uh, that people should interact peaceably uh, without um, you know domination imposed upon them by the state, but what that would look like is that's the beauty of uh, uh, having a free country. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm definitely going to go back to the book. Good. Uh, I'm going to work my way through. I'm going to give myself time. I'm not going to be afraid to. I won't waste your time. If I have any really important questions, I will reach out to you. Okay. Absolutely. I've appreciated your patience today. It's been great to see you. I'm probably six months to a year going to ask you to come back because I'll be in a, my a different pleasure. place. My pleasure. This is a lot of fun. And bring your son. Uh, no, I would love to bring my son. Uh, God, I would love that. I'd love to have my daughter here, but she's a bit younger. So it's so different things we can do. Um, but if uh, I can do anything for you, uh, if there are any people you want to talk to in the Bitcoin world, I still think there's some, I think, I, I, I'd hope you would go a little bit closer on it. I think there's a couple of people I'd love for you to talk to, especially Alex Gladstein. I think you would have a great conversation with him. Uh, my friend Robert Breedlove, who was on Lex's show, he's worth talking to. He's interesting, okay. but we'll see if you do. Oh, isn't he like a hunk? Is yeah, that... he he is. I don't like this... talking to the hunks. Dude, dude, this guy, he's like six five. Um, he's ripped. He's as smart as shit. He's the nicest guy. And we were in Miami together, and we we're hanging out. And then we met up at a party later. And he literally walks in, carrying his daughter with his goddess wife i mean he's got everything he's he's and he's incredible yeah i don't like people like that yeah okay who are the ugly ones <laughs> there's plenty there's quite, there's i know them don't worry yeah, there's, but there's a lot of smart people but I, i'd love to introduce you to alex Gladstein. i think you and him would have a great conversation but all right tell people where to get the book anarchisthandbook.com easy okay easy easy do you want people to get direct they can buy with bitcoin they can't they can't they can't buy with bitcoin Oh, but they'll, they'll be able. Will they be able to buy the hardcover? Because I, I'm sure it's on your website. You can buy some of your books with Bitcoin. I when I did Dear Reader, yeah. which was my North Korean book, um, I had that you could buy signed copies with Bitcoin. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, listen, I, I so, pre- and that was in 2014. So I'm wow. really I, You're early. I was there before you. Did you hodl it? Well, I was actually I was there in 2013, but I was spending it buying cocaine on the Silk Road. I, I, I oh my, uh, I was at a party at some major major personality's house. I'll tell you off air because I love messing with okay. the audience. And it was me and like uh, um, uh, a Pulitzer winner and another prominent person. And I'm there for comic relief. And they go, who has ever bought anything with Bitcoin anyway? I'm like, well, I bought drugs. And they all look, because they're all in their 50s. I'm like, ha, 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 And I had to backpedal, but it was yeah. pretty funny. I lost like three Bitcoin when the Silk Road closed down. Oh, okay. And then Tim Draper bought them off, uh, the, um, off the FBI, I think. And uh, I said to him the other day, I'd like my three Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. Yeah, you have 35,000. Yeah. Three of those were mine. Come on. Yeah. I'll even give you what you paid for them now the price is where it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your patience uh, with my questions. And yeah, this is just part of my journey. So it's you know uh, really good for me to talk to you. So thank you so much. You are welcome. 
All right. Did you enjoy that? How good is that? Are you a fan of Michael? I know from Twitter, some of you have been very excited about this. I have too. I think it's pretty cool with the podcast to reach out and get to some people who are outside of the normal Bitcoin circles. So yes, it was great to talk to Michael. I really do like these conversations where I get to challenge my ideas and doubts. And following this, I do have a better understanding of anarchism. I think Michael was very patient with me, which is great. I'm going to continue reading. I'm going to finish his book. That, By the way, that's linked in the show notes, so definitely go and check that out. But let me know what you think of it. You can jump into the What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel, or you can hit me up on my email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you want to support the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That really helps with the listings. Hopefully, hopefully you enjoy the show. Hopefully you think it deserves five stars. Outside of that, have a great rest of your week, and I will see you all soon.